Uh, well, it's all over. Um, over for another year. Welcome you to a Leafs Talk Forever. Um, kind of a sad situation. Heartbreaking night to, or a heartbreaking way to see how it ended. Uh, let's get your initial thoughts. You're with Scott and Spencer. Kyle couldn't be here. We were doing it post game, obviously. So, Scott, let's get your thoughts here on, uh, um, I guess the deciding goal and then the game altogether. Uh, pathetic. Toronto should have won uh, more than just the one game they did win. They outplayed Florida the whole series. Uh, and then this game in particular was just a um, presentation, I guess, of of how refereeing in this league fucking sucks. That's it. Yes, sir. Um, also, some other uh, well, uh, for those of you who listened on the fan or TSN or whatever you listened on, some more heartbreaking news. It seems that Joe Bowen and Jim Ralph might be done forever. Um, yeah. So just, uh, I mean, Scott's one hundred percent right on everything. There's, there's so many. Um, things that just left you uh questioning and and yelling out and like like just to talk about a couple mark stall shouldered mitch marner square to the head late into the third period uh that's exactly exactly like what michael bunton did to eric chernak um then we have this stupid uh over the glass review that shouldn't have happened yeah, like no refs actually saw it happen. No linesman actually saw it happen, but for some reason they listened to the line or to the Tampa bench or Florida bench. There was the icing call that Michael Bunting actually should it should have just been a continuation of play because Sergey Bobrovsky came out and touched it with a stick, but for some reason they overturned it to center and then re overturn it back to um Charles end. And then lastly, the last goal. Like the oh, final goal of the series. And then there was the stupid, we didn't blow the whistle, but we intended oh, yeah. to blow the whistle. So we're like, that's the dumbest fucking shit I've ever heard in my life. Like, like that doesn't even make any sense. We intended to blow the whistle. So the stoppage of play is when we say it is. If you in, like that, that's, that, that's dumb. No, in no other situation in any sport would that ever make sense. You didn't blow the whistle. Just because you intended to blow the whistle means nothing. You didn't blow the whistle. You could say that about any play ever then. Yeah. Game winning going overtime. Oh, we intended to blow the whistle, so it doesn't count. Like that's that's dumb. Or in this case, game winning goal. Or what would lead to eventually with Nylander scoring what should have been the game winning goal. And then it's we intended to blow the whistle, so the puck actually in the net doesn't matter because we picked a specific point of when we wanted the whistle blown. So the goal doesn't count because it happened after that specific moment we picked. Like, that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, I, I was a little confused. But but then Sheldon Keefe said, like, Sheldon Keefe's ruling from the refs was that it wasn't clear and concise. Well, that's also dumb because they had the overhead view that shows the puck under his skate in the net, and they have the Titantron view that shows clearly the puck over the line. And then the, the, even the announcers are like, oh, we don't know if it's off the red. You can see it in the net or in just in general, the replay. 
if you show where the puck is under his pad, and then you go to the overhead view, where it, the, that part of the pad is where his puck's under is in the net. So how can you argue that the puck isn't in the net? Yeah. Um, it was confusing, then, though, because when they reviewed it, then then they started talking about when the whistle's blown, and then there was no whistle blown. So then even, like, the people on the panel and the intermission were like, there was no whistle. There was a potential intent to blow the whistle, but whistle, but the puck was already in. And then they said Toronto stopped the play by celebrating. Well, that, that's the same as every other goal because you celebrate after a goal. So, I mean... And and then on top of that, I just want to add the Radko Gudis play at the end of the game. He's skating down the middle lane after two Maple Leafs fall and Timothy Lilligrand get gets caught back. Yarnkrog doing his best defensive job he could. Um, then he Radko Gudis trips, gets a stick in between Yarnkrog, takes him down, and then on the way down holds his stick with him, pulling his stick out of Yarnkrog's hand. So Yarnkrow couldn't put his uh, his stick in, into the way of the puck, which could have deflected it out wide, whatever. So, again, a blatant missed penalty. And now we're, a, well, I mean, us as fans, broken, heart, are heartbroken. But as the Maple Leafs, obviously, uh, still heartbroken, but eliminated from playoff contention on, on just the most troubling situation for officiating I've seen. It's funny. I saw on Twitter that someone said, like, Put a picture of Gudis holding the stick, saying like he's holding the stick. How's Yarnkrog supposed to play defense? Yada yada yada. Uh, and then the first comment is, "No ref in the NHL is ever going to call that." What are you talking about? They literally called that on TJ Brody last game, where they the he held the stick so the guy couldn't score, and they called it holding the stick. So how is that any different than what should have been called here? Yep. It's pathetic. That is uh, in, in in total like what eight minutes of play that the Florida Panthers capitalized on that cost Toronto the series of five games. Eight minutes. You can you can really pinpoint like four plays of where Florida sometimes locked down and got the advantage or the bounce or the random like the one goal that hit off the player's butt and went into the net like how lucky is that i uh i'm just looking through twitter here and people are just like go figure because it's the leaves no 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 like i i most my most my like i don't look at like what you look at on twitter most my twitter viewing is just um like my timeline i don't go on like the least florida Hot topic yeah, thing. Neither do I. Oh, okay. Um, I just always read the comments of people, and it's just, it's just like, I don't even know the word. I guess confusion. I guess that would be the best word. Like people are confused about how it wasn't a called a goal. How even the initial play on the ice wasn't called a goal. Like they called it no goal to start and then it was reviewed and not overturned if they would have called it a goal which they should have called it a goal like this happened in the tampa toronto series in game one or uh, in round one with uh Braden point and they called it a goal and then overturned it and realistically should have been called a goal because the puck was over the line and the ref saw the florida play the florida defenseman and the goalie pull the puck on the net 
This reminds me of that Braid Holpe time with Vancouver. Remember, and the puck was clearly in the end. They said they couldn't, they oh, couldn't see it. And his glove, and you could see it moving around in the glove. Yeah, it's like, are you are you dumb? I, and I, I just, it confuses me. I understand that the the bigger guys didn't necessarily show up. Yeah, I think the most confusing part isn't even like, yeah, okay, they could probably argue we didn't see it from the Titantron view, whatever. That specific shot they showed of it under his skate and his skate in the net is blatant that it's in the net. But the part I don't get is, is the refs just picked a random moment of when they decided they wanted to blow the whistle. How is that? Like, that doesn't even make sense. How can, how can any professional sports league have a rule where if the refs don't blow the whistle, then they can just go back and say, oh, this is that specific moment we meant to blow the whistle, so anything after that doesn't happen. Like it doesn't count. That that doesn't even make any sense. If you wanted to blow the whistle, blow the whistle. And if you don't, then there should be no rule that says we intended to blow the whistle, because then they could just pick and choose a moment where they don't look like idiots. Because if they, they that's what they look like is they were a bunch of morons who just didn't do their job. And then when it came down to it, they picked a specific moment that they went back to. Where, oh, like that specific moment we meant to blow the whistle, so the other 45 seconds after that doesn't count. Like, that, that doesn't even make sense. How is that a rule? The other thing that like, doesn't make sense to me is so, for example, I'm going to read a couple things here. One second. Okay, so I don't know why this was up. I'm confused as to why I even replied to this guy. Yeah, so this actually had no bearing on me, but somehow I was involved in it. Anyway, so Mike Stevens said, so the refs get to determine when the play is dead by imagining it and expecting everyone else to read their minds. And it got, and it just got the least a tying goal in an elimination game. And then this other guy said the least thought the play was dead. They were all just standing around pointing and celebrating. Everyone else on the ice thought the play was dead. I said, yeah, I get that. I don't even know why I replied. I said, yeah, I get that, but it technically wasn't dead. And they were under the assumption that the puck crossed the line, which it did. Whatever, I guess nothing we can do now. It's just interesting. His reply was, "Is it was dead when the refs, de- refs deemed it dead. The whistle doesn't have to be blown for that to occur. It definitely sucks, and it's con- in a controversial decision. We need to get better tr- uh, puck tracking technology but it was a correct decision under the circum under the current rules. I'm just going to hit you with this. Okay? And this is for future reference on everyone. If you're arguing about hockey in general, but specifically with me, don't fucking say exactly what the announcers and the and the people on the panel during the intermissions are saying. It makes you look uh ridiculous. Like pathetic as a person. You're like, you don't expect me to be watching the same game you are. Maybe you're an American, so you're not seeing what Canadians are seeing on their screen. But like at this point, I know you're a Canadian because you're saying exactly what freaking Elliot Freeman said. And then Kelly Rudy at the end. Like, who cares about the puck tracking thing? The end of the day is this is literally 2004. The two the two thousand four Stanley Cup final when Calgary and 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 Tampa Bay were in the were in it and they there was a review on a goal 
and they didn't have an overhead camera view at that point. It's 2023. It's been almost 20 years. You got yeah. an overhead view. Yeah. And like the the refs can deem to play dead whenever they want. They don't have to blow the whistle. Like I know I've said this twice already, but that doesn't make sense. There's no other major sports league that has that rule. Can you imagine if in the NFL the the they're passing for the what would be the game winning touchdown? They catch it running right the end zone, and all of a sudden the refs are like, "Oh no, we meant to call the play dead before the snap," so that that doesn't happen. Like that would never happen in the NBA. The you're on defense, you steal the ball, and then 30 seconds later your team, or not 30 seconds, but like 15 seconds later your team shoots the game winning basket, and then the refs huddle together and say, "Oh no, by the way, we meant to call the whistle." Or we meant to blow the whistle and call the play dead 30 seconds ago so that basket doesn't count. Baseball. Buddy, 3-2 count, hits a home run for the game winner, and the refs call it back and say, oh, no, we meant to call timeout because the, the outfielders or the pitchers weren't set or whatever. Like, none of that would ever happen. How is this a rule in a professional sports league that the refs can just say, oh, we meant to blow the whistle at that specific moment so your goal doesn't count? Then what's the point of the whistle? The whole point of the whistle is to signify that the play's dead. So if the refs can call the play dead or intend to call the play dead without blowing the whistle, then what the fuck is the point of the whistle? Yeah, I... Uh... There's no need for them to have whistles if they can just imagine a point in the play that they want to call the play dead and then enforce that onto the game. I... I don't even. It just confuses me to the point that I don't even have words to put into into my like anything. Actually, like I have no no understanding of how to put this into words on how frustrating this is. Because now, remember last year, what when what was a game six against Tampa? Yeah, and then that same play happened five hundred times this year, and it was never called once. It's like the Zach Hyman faceoff interference or the Morgan Riley interference when he tried to pinch the guy off along the boards when the guy dumped tried to do a chip and chase. And one was called face-off violation, and one was called interference. And those plays have happened for seven years since those calls, and not once have they been called, except for those two specific instances against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And the game didn't, like, the ref didn't get any better. Like, in overtime, the ref should have just swallowed their fucking whistles, like they do every other series, every other game, instead of just going on the word of the uh, Florida Panthers bench and saying, after they huddled together, which is another stupid rule, and saying, yeah, it went over the glass. Like, how can the refs just huddle together after making the call and say, actually, we changed our mind? Like, that, you already made the call. That doesn't make any sense. And, and, and truthfully, and it wasn't, also, it's not like even like it's a review. It was just them standing along the boards, yeah, all in a group for them and saying, oh, was it over the glass? I don't know. They're, they're saying it was over the glass. Should we call it over the glass? Yeah, let's call it over the glass. Like that does that? How is that a professional league? How does this happen in a professional sports league? People are saying, like, if the ref, the original call the ref makes should be the call that is enforced. You shouldn't be able to, unless it's a reviewable play, like a goal. In which case, the they should have some kind of criteria for the goal because the blown dead intent is is the dumbest excuse I've ever heard or like um, whatever other plays are reviewable. Like if it's the refs just huddle together and then all of a sudden change their mind, like that shouldn't be allowed. 
It should just stick with the original call. Yeah. It's, uh... It sucks, though, because, like, Toronto did dominate pretty much, like, the whole, almost the whole second and, and all of the third. Florida had three shots. Yeah, which is funny because after the first period, everybody was like, Florida's dominating this game. They had 41 seconds of offensive zone time. 41. In what world is that dominating the game? Toronto had almost four minutes, which, albeit in a 20-minute period, is average. But how is Florida, who got two lucky breaks in the first period on two goals, how is it dominating dominating the period when you have 41 seconds, not even a minute of a 20-minute period, you spent in the offensive zone? Game two, they got 40 seconds. 40 seconds was the deciding factor in that game. Was that game two? Yeah, game two. Yeah. Like, Toronto Toronto was playing better than them the whole game, except for that 40 seconds. Game game four, game, game three. Like, Toronto just gave up on that overtime play, and Florida lucked down when it hit the ref, and the guy did the wraparound and scored. Like, Toronto should have won this series. They ended up beating themselves. And it's not even like the usual beating themselves moments where they just give up after 10 minutes of the second period and then the other team just does whatever they want and Toronto's floating around on the ice. Yep. They just they just didn't get the chance or didn't capitalize on the chances that they had. They were more physical than Florida, barring a few big hits, which one of them should have been a penalty. They were more offensive than Florida. They were better defensively than Florida, except for those specific moments that they capitalized and the Leafs didn't. Um, just a little thing here. Uh, that's kind of weird. That that shouldn't have been ever said. Someone put, like, Nick, Nick Cousin said his, his daughter's like 11 years old. Or sorry, eleven months old, and then some guy just posted a picture of some guy talking to his daughter in jail and saying Nick Cousins talking to his daughter. Like that's kind of weird. It's crazy to me. Like okay, so so let's just let's quickly. Uh, well, I actually want to get your thoughts on this. Sheldon Keith said people are making fun of him for they, he said that in his honest opinion, the Leafs lost the series in the first three games. Um, yeah, obviously, no Sheldon Keith probably. It's unlikely that he's coming back. A lot of people are saying that they need a Marty St. Louis style coach, which isn't true. Yeah, because um, that worked out so well for Montreal this year. Would you say I don't I, know, the only others? the only the only change this team needs? And you can worry about the cap after next year when Matthews needs a new contract and whoever else needs a new contract. Besides getting rid of Justin Hall. Which I've been, we've been clamoring for all year for the last four years since he's been on the team. That's a given. I feel like the only change this team needs is a new coach. Kyle Dubas proved that he can put a winning team together. He can bring in players who can help you win. He can bring in players who have winning, Stanley Cup winning experience. The, although Matthews didn't score this series, he still played well. The core four showed up in the first uh, series. Marner was kind of non-existent for the first three games. Uh, but and then even though Nylander wasn't putting up uh, goals or points or whatever, he still played well. Tavares was dominant in the faceoffs. 
I feel like it's it just the the only change I feel like they should make this offseason is a new coach. And you can argue that Sheldon Keefe could stay because they made it on the first round for the first time in 19 years. They did play well in the second round, even though they lost. Uh, you could argue that he could stay and, and try to win with him as the coach, but I feel like a new coach is needed. One who can actually perform uh, in, or or knows what to do in certain situations and not put their fourth line down on offensive zone faceoffs five times, key offensive zone faceoffs five times, uh, not put their fourth line down with two minutes left when you're down a goal instead of your big two, top two lines, who are the ones that are going to score a goal for you. And it seemed like this series in particular, even when he had the home ice, he was getting matchups that were unfavorable to, to Toronto, which is weird because that's the whole point of home ice advantage, is then you can have the matchup you want yeah, but it still seemed like Paul Maurice was getting whatever line he wanted out against even this game. They mentioned it a few times in the broadcast, um, which doesn't yeah. make sense because if you have last change, then you should just wait for them to change and then put on whatever line you want against them. Yeah, Paul Maurice doesn't seem like Shel- and then Sheldon Keith put Toronto's first line out, and before Sheldon Keith was done putting out their first line, Paul Maurice put on his 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 whatever shutdown line, which I think was like his third line. Yeah, and then and then Sheldon Keith at that point either roll with roll with Austin Matthews line and and try and get the domination factor going, or or just switch them off. Like the next time down the ice, just sub them off for another line. So then you have again the change. Yep. Um. Um. Okay. So quickly before before I move on from this, yeah. I'm just gonna name a couple a couple coaches that are available. There's Peter Laviolette. Uh, Gerard Gallant, Travis Green, um, who else got fired? Daryl Sutter, but he's obviously not coming here. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. There's other coaches around the league. Sorry, like Andrew Burnett, he's an assistant coach. Um, just trying to think. That's the thing, though. Like everybody's going to be clamoring for Toronto to get a uh, Mike Babcock, Daryl Sutter. John Tortorella style coach who can whip the players into shape when they when they they're too soft and they're wusses and they're ballerinas on ice and and they're pansies who 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 can't get physical like this this season this series the Tampa Bay series proved that that's not true. It's just Florida capitalized on the chances that they had in those specific moments of the series and Toronto didn't. Uh. The, like, the, the the Tampa Bay Toronto series was the most physical series of any in the first round. Like they had more hits than any other series, and it's not even like Tampa Bay dominated forty five hits to seventeen. It was like forty one hits to forty, thirty eight hits to thirty seven, forty five hits to forty two. Like Toronto was just as physical as any other team in this playoff. Yeah, you, I, you don't need that style of coach. I feel like you, you need a coach who has experience winning in the playoffs. And that's no offense to Sheldon Keith. But, like, bringing in Travis Green, who doesn't have the best track record, isn't necessarily going to help you. Bringing in uh, Andrew Brunette, who doesn't, doesn't necessarily have the best uh, uh, pedigree as a coach in deep run Stanley Cup playoff, Stanley Cup winning coaches. Like, if, if all the coaches available, I feel like maybe Gerard Glantz, the only one that actually would be able to, to help them get over that hurdle. So, unless you're going to bring in, like, an old coach, like, Paul McLean or, or maybe like if you can convince a coach to come out of retirement, like Ken Hitchcock or something, which isn't going to happen, but 
But if of all the coaches available, I feel like of the ones, Gillard, uh, Gerard Glant's the only one that actually has the experience in the playoffs. That is what Toronto's looking for. Um, now, Ger- Gerard Gallant has had pretty um, uh, I think historically he's had fairly good no, first Bruce round. Bruce Boudreaux. <laughs> yeah, no, that could be one because he's, he's a player's coach. It could be an option. Uh, actually, I'm going to tweet that out right now so then I can get credit for it. Um, just thinking, Gerard Gallant has had good first round uh, first year success, although he hasn't had good rest of the season success. And I'm not saying this to be like a typical Leafs fan. Wasn't he the coach of Vegas when they made it to the Eastern Conference Final? Yeah, that was their first year. Yeah, and then the next year he he got fired. Well, yeah, but I mean, like the next year, technically he he shouldn't have been fired because they were still like the best team in the Western Conference when he got fired. This first year with Florida, they were a good team. His first year with Vegas, they were a good team. His first year with the Rangers, they were a good team. But then historically after that, they've fallen off. However, I don't think – I think this is, is worth noting or worth saying. Toronto shouldn't be worried about three years from now, like what their coach is like, how their coach does three years from now. They should be worried about what their coach does next year. And Gerard Gallant has a good track record of helping them in the first round or first year. They could win this in the Cup next year with him as a coach. Yeah. Another thing – like. Another thing they need to worry about is having a coach who can enforce the style of play that they want to play. Like, you don't have to be a Daryl Sutter, Mike Babcock, John Tortorella, like, asshole who, like, just is ignorant and, and is his way or the highway. But, like, for the first three games of this series, Toronto just completely reverted back to their typical try to pass it around for 15 minutes and then take a shot. But the reason that they played so well against Tampa is because they played opposite of what they would normally play. They were taking shots on the point. They were tipping pucks. Yeah, they were still cycling the puck around, but they weren't Marner on the half boards to Matthews to Marner to Nylander to Marner, back up to Riley to Matthews to Marner to Nylander, Marner, Matthews, Marner, Matthews. And then after three minutes of passing the puck around, they shoot it. In the Tampa series, they were up to the point, shoot it, tip, get the, get dig in the corner, get it back to the point, shoot it on net, rebound, deflection, whatever, get the puck again, get it back to the point, shoot it. It didn't matter who was at the point. Like it could have been Marner, it could have been Matthews, and then they they started playing like that again last game, where like both of their goals were, or at least the Marner goal anyway was like from the point screen. Bobrovsky had no chance of saving it, and then this game they were doing it again. It seemed like for the first couple minutes, at least, like maybe the first half of the first period, they were trying to do that pass around. But then, like, the second and third period, they were just shooting pucks from the point, getting the rebounds, digging in the corner to get the puck up to the point, shooting it. Then, like, but if, like, maybe it's Sheldon Keefe inexperience as a coach because he's never actually been in those situations at this point in the season. But, like, he needed to, after game one, when they were reverting back to that play style that hasn't worked for them for six years in a row, he should have, like, made it a point to them to make sure that they weren't playing that they were doing the things that helped them win or helped them win against Tampa Bay. And it didn't seem to be doing that for the first three games. He just let them do their typical Marner fancy pass, no look, when yeah. instead of making the simple play, which the guy is streaking down the ice two feet from you. Instead, you try to backhand it off the board to the guy who's already covered and you threw the puck over. Or pass it around for five minutes and then they don't end up getting a shot because they turn it over and the other team's coming down the ice. Like, 
he just seemed to, at least for the first three games, lose the point of of what made them win in Tampa. And then by the time they actually, if him or someone else mentioned it and they got back on that style of play, it was too late. They pretty much had already lost the series. Yeah, tr- truthfully, in all, in all honesty, Toronto had all the should. I know, like, I get it. Um, like, uh, and like that's not saying that they played bad, obviously, because they did dominate most of the series. I thought, even with that first three games play style, but like, I feel like they could have won a couple more games than in the first two, even game three, and when they went to overtime, if they had stopped. Referring back to the typical Toronto Maple Leaf play or the give up, that overtime goal was horrendous because everybody in the ice just stopped playing. Like, Kerfoot gave up on the play. Brody didn't do anything behind the net. Uh, who was it? McCabe at the point that didn't do anything to try to stop the guy from yeah. getting in the zone? Yeah, it was McCabe and uh, Brody. Let's get a word from our show sponsor quickly. And then we'll hit it back with a little bit more um, discussion on. I don't know. I I don't know exactly where where we'll go from here, but we'll uh, we'll go somewhere. So let's. Um, yeah, THPN Raycon is our sponsor, a sponsor, and as well as DraftKings. We will be back. Play the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make just a $5 bet and score $150 in free bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That code, THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Eligibility restrictions apply. See notes for details. Let's face it. With coffee starting at $5 and our bank accounts somehow always depleting, we are officially entering a dupe session. Most products do the same thing but are priced differently solely based on the brand name. So a good duplicate, or dupe, is critical for getting the highest quality at the best price. One dupe you definitely shouldn't sleep on, Raycon Wireless Earbuds. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point so you can listen to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank. Raycon's mission is to prove that you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for quality sound and essential smart tech listening features. You can get a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would for some of the other more big-name tech brands. Raycon knows that in this economy, every purchase needs to be perfect, so they have a buy now, pay later option. Right now, you can pay just $18 at checkout. They also have easy and free return guarantees and offer a two-year product protection insurance for just a few extra bucks. And they also offer free domestic shipping and flat rate international shipping. If you check out their website, they have over 50,000 five-star reviews. A few of my personal favorite features of the Raycon earbuds are the tap functions, the crystal clear call audio quality, and the eight hours of playtime. So go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off of your next Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off. Enjoy. 
All right, so we'll, we're back in a very uh, heartbreaking podcast. Uh, obviously, if you, by chance, were just joining the podcast and skipped halfway through, the Leafs got beat down in games, uh, game five against Florida. Um, with that, though, Scott, I'm going to send right over to you, Scott. You want to talk about a few more things, and then I want to get into a little Radko Gudis hate. So, yeah. So the first of the two things I want to talk about is hot-button topics that seems to be a common trend amongst the NHL, I mean, for years, but now it just seems more prevalent, is that, like, at specific moments, they talk up players who aren't necessarily important at all. Um, like, it, the earliest I can remember it happening is, the, what was that, 2010, when Philly-Pittsburgh played, and Pittsburgh or Philadelphia beat Pittsburgh out of the playoffs, and all of a sudden Claude Giroux was the best player in the NHL. He had surpassed Sidney Crosby as the number one player in the NHL. And then the next year, Crosby was scoring 100 points, and Claude Giroux was doing nothing. And he did nothing for the next 10 years. Um, so to take that, Ottawa. <laughs> but this year it seemed like there was a lot of that for players who didn't matter. Like... Yeah, Eric Chernak may be a big deal in Tampa Bay, but in the grand scheme of the NHL, he's not that impressive. Uh, Sam Bennett may be impressive to the Florida Panther fans, but in the grand scheme of the NHL, he's not overly good at all. Same as Radko Gudis, same as Mar- uh, Pierre-Edmar Belmer, or whatever the hell his name is. It just seems like there's always random, the last couple years at least, like they just pick and choose random players who are all of a sudden superstar caliber players that have never made any impact on the game whatsoever until that one specific moment that they're talking about. And then all of a sudden they're superstars and it just really gets, it's always against the Leafs that this happens. Barring that Giroux example I just gave, but obviously it, I know some more because I only watch the Leafs, but like it's just really annoying when Radko Gudis has six career points and, and should be a minor leaguer. And then all of a sudden, he's the best defenseman in the NHL because he helped beat out the Toronto Maple Leafs. And you're sitting there thinking, like, that doesn't even make any sense. The, the guy shouldn't even be playing in the NHL. Like, like uh, he's the Johnson Hall of the Florida Panthers, if you ask me. Who? And, like, Radko Gudis. Oh, Radko Gudis, sorry. And all of a sudden now, he's like, everybody's like, oh, he's such a great defenseman. Oh, he got in Toronto's head. Oh, he did this. Oh, he did that. He didn't really do anything. Yeah, he threw some hits. Yeah, he was on the ice for that game-winning goal standing in front of the goalie, but, like, in the end, did he actually really make any big of an impact? Not really. Same as Eric Schernack when he flopped and gave himself a concussion in the first round. Like, now the new one is that, which this isn't even, like, just fans. Like, insiders, personalities on TV have been saying this, that Matthews has never been better than Dreisaitl. Dreisaitl has always been the second-best player in the league. Except for last year when Matthews scored 60 goals and everybody was saying that he may even be better than Connor McDavid. But then when Matthews has a down year, all of a sudden it's, oh, he's never been better than uh, Dreisaitl. Uh, Dreisaitl has always been the number two player to Connor McDavid's number one. Like, did you not listen to yourself talk last year? Like, you can't just change your mind on a whim because one player's having a good streak of games. And yeah, Dreisaitl's good. And at this particular moment, he may have been playing better than Matthews, but in the grant, like overall, I, I don't don't think he's better than Matthews. Yeah, no, and and I mean, you said it best, a hundred percent with the with the Claude Giroux thing. I also noticed that not that he's a bad defense, but I also noticed it with the Brandon Montour. Oh yeah, 
like he had like six goals, so and he was leading defense with goals, so he's instantly like the best defenseman that's ever played in the history of the NHL. Obviously, bought better than Bobby Orr because he had six goals. Yeah. Um, and the Radko and then Goose, the, the like, second thing, like just oh. one second, just on the Radko Gudis thing, like let's not forget that Toronto actually was thinking about acquiring Radical Goose at the trade deadline because Florida thought they were out of the playoffs. So it's like... Yeah, like, they literally made the playoffs a lot of days. Yeah, like, and I'm, I'm, good for them for advancing, like, I guess, like the underdog story, whatever. It's I'm not saying... Over. how. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> However, all I'm saying is like, like, this guy isn't newfound gold. This is a guy that the team was actively shopping because they didn't want on their team anymore. It's not like they call him up in the minors and he's just stealing the spotlight. The dude takes the cheapest shots ever and then won't fight. He ran David Camp after the whistle, which should have been a suspension. He then yeah. went after Matthews after Matthews was out of the play. And then when Luke Shen, when they showed the audio before the game, before the game on Sportsnet, Luke Shen offered him a fight and he said no and then skated away. Like I got, I said this on Twitter and some like the world's hockey report or something. I guess he thinks like he's all that or whatever. I said he might be the world's most fake tough guy in the in the in the history of human existence. And he said, "Would you fight him?" One, I would definitely fight Rako Gudis, uh, because the guy just doesn't seem to be that tough. And secondly, uh, dude turtled when Zach Aston Reese tried to fight him. Zach Aston Reese has two career <laughs> NHL fights. So, like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I like my odds. I've had zero NHL fights, and I like my odds. To be honest with you, my I would probably break my ankles trying to fight the guy, but I still like my odds. Anyway, so that's my little rant on Radko Gudis, but there's more coming up, so he, stay tuned. The, the, the way they were talking about Radko Gudis this series reminded me of the same way they were talking about Brandon Hagel last year. Yeah. Like, Tampa gave up, and or Tanner Janelle. Tampa gave up a lot for them, and then they, in the end, they amounted to do nothing because they're role players who were only there for specific reasons. So the, the and this may have only like been the Canadian broadcast. I don't know because I don't watch the American broadcast. But like it got really annoying when going into Game Six, and all of a sudden Brandon Hagel was a game changer who at any moment could put up seven points in a game, and you're sitting there thinking like, what what, what Brandon Hagel is this? Like Brandon Hagel isn't Connor McDavid. Like settle down. Radko Gudis isn't Eric Carlson, Kale McCarr. Like he's closer to Justin Hall than than a lot of people think. Uh, and the second point is the, the the typical gifts memes that everybody always puts on about the Leafs whenever they get beat out of the playoffs. And this year, it just doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, previous years you got beat out of the first round, put on the golfing thing. Oh, time to go golfing. But, like, Toronto made it farther than one, two, three, four, six, or all but six NHL teams. Like, Edmonton, Vegas, Seattle, Dallas, Carolina, and Florida are the only teams who made it farther in the playoffs than Toronto Maple Leafs. So the, the, the old time to go golfing doesn't really make sense when either, A, in the case of a Boston, Vancouver fan, Ottawa fan, Montreal fan, your team didn't even make the playoffs, or in the case of a Boston fan, your team got beat down in the first round by the same team that just beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in worse fashion. You've been golfing for a whole 
two weeks longer than we have. The Toronto choke artist memes won't work anymore because we made it out of the first round. Like, it just seems like it doesn't matter what the team does. Everybody just keeps putting the same gifts, memes, jokes, ridicules on that don't make sense anymore because we did something that you guys make fun of us for that now you shouldn't really do that because it doesn't make sense. The choke artist made sense when we didn't make another first round for 18, 19 years in a row, and then we did. So how like, it doesn't really make sense of why everybody's still doing that. Even like betting, like I saw the, the score betting, they put mm. the tweet out of Matthews or Marner and Tavares. Like they edited their heads on to the two people playing golf. And then the tweet was like, oh, time to go golfing. Like one, you're only doing that for attention because everybody hates, other fan bases hate the trauma beliefs. So anytime you negatively say anything about them, it draws your views up because people are drawn to that kind of content. And two is it, it, it doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, they may go golfing, but, like, they made it five games into the second round. The only team who's made it, technically made it farther than them right now is is Carolina because they're the only one who's made it in the second round. So it doesn't really make sense of why those tweets or those memes yeah. and gifts are still happening when what the original purpose of them doesn't count anymore. Yeah, the uh, I, I, did, I did notice... Some people were sending like Paul Bissonnette. It was the two guys that carried the Stanley Cup, but it was a golfing bag. Like that's yeah, just which, absolutely ridiculous. In, in, in in the case of a Paul Bissonnette, he knows that any content that he puts out that is negative towards the Leafs draws his interactions up because people like that kind of content because that's all everybody seems to do. Another thing is the oh typical Leafs fans crying that their team lost. If you're a passionate hockey fan. How is it negative that you're mad or upset that your team lost? Every team, every fan base in the playoffs so far has complained about the refs, has complained about officiating, has complained about moments in games where they shouldn't have got calls to go in their favor. Have, have, have complained that their teams got beat out of the playoffs. Have literally burnt their jerseys when their team got beat 3-1 to Florida or whatever. But yeah, when Toronto gets beat down, it's typical Leafs fan crying. Like, how is being passionate about the team that you like, the sport that you like, how is that a negative? How is saying we should have won the series, we should have got a couple calls go our way because you're passionate about the team winning? Like, I don't know how people view that as a negative. Yeah, and also, like, let's be real. People burnt their jerseys uh, just solely based on, like, this is kind of unrelated, but related in the same. Like, look at LeBron James when he signed Miami. No one made fun of those people for literally burning their jerseys because they're like Cleveland, like when Cleveland uh, Cavaliers fans burnt their jersey because he left to go to Miami. But Toronto, like, Toronto gets a little bit upset and, and instantly we are like the, I guess, the shit talking of the league because fans are upset that their team got beat on the playoffs, especially in these situations because this was like a, we're down two nothing, two one. Controversial non goal that most other fan bases thought was a goal, and then two two with four minutes left, and then we dominated overtime. Like that's a kick in the nuts. The way that we've lost series series in the last what seven years have been absolute kicks in the nuts. You know what I mean? Yeah, all the like, way back to that Boston series where 
they scored the game time goal on a play where JVR got kneed in the head uh, just over the blue line. No call. The Justin All pick last year, no call. The multitude of calls that could have happened this game, no calls. The, or just stupid players who shouldn't be on the team because for some reason the coaches are love are in love with them. Like, who was it, Martin Marinson when they were playing Washington, who chased the guy around the net in overtime? Yeah. And the guy just skated around the net and then was all alone in front of the net and shot into the net? Like, are you an idiot? You play in the NHL, buddy. You learn not to do that in PB hockey. Also, just a, just a Radko Gudis thing for a second. Uh, I want to talk about him quickly. Um, one, the guy's just absolute dog water. But this guy literally held... Taliancro's stick. And then when they scored, screamed into a rookie goaltender second NHL playoff game ever's face because he won. Absolutely respect, man. I would just punch him out a lot in the in the handshake lineup. Yeah. That's another thing that annoys me. Just real quick, I know it's a lot of topic because we'll talk about Gudis, but like, if a player doesn't want to do the handshake, they're viewed as a whiner, uh, a wussy. Like they're they have no class, they have no sportsmanship. Like, why would you want to? Like, you just put everything you had into making the second round, everything you had into try to come down three nothing, and then you lose in the most bullshit way possible. Like, why would you want to go down the line and shake everybody's hand who just disrespected you for seventeen years? Like yep. and but like you just you you have to do it. It's like mandatory, or it, it, like the 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 perception of it is mandatory. But like why why would you want to? Like you just had a player who tried to take your head off and Michael Bunting, and you have to go up to Sam Bennett and shake your hand and say, "Oh, great great series, you guys beat us fair and square." Like that's that's the dumbest crap I've ever heard of in my life. Yep. Uh, but yeah, goodness, I didn't even realize it in the play. It was afterwards when you showed me the pick that it, it, it clearly holding uh, Radko or uh, Cali Arncroke stick so he couldn't yeah. get in the way of the shot, which I'm not surprised the refs missed it. Even when the puck is clearly in front of their face in the net, they seem to have be blind towards what's actually going on. So, oh, Of course. Maybe they were thinking about blowing the whistle and then realized too late that the play was still going on. <laughs> so they missed everything that happened and then saw the puck in the net and just called a goal real quick. Could be, could be. I just, I don't know. I take, I would, if I was Toronto, I would hold on to that. I would hold on to that uh, all damn day, buddy. Yeah, but I mean, that's a problem with Toronto, though. Is like, there's so many things from the last, even just Matthews era, seven, six, seven years. Like, there's so many things that they could hold on to, and use as motivation the next year. And then, besides like getting into the first round this year, the next year rolls around, and they're doing those same. Things. Same things. Like, there was the chase around the net in the Washington series. There was the Travis Dermott spinning like a washing machine in his own end when there was nobody near him just to turn the puck over and lose. Oh, yeah. There was the Alex Galchenyuk uh, reformation project who tried to cross it across the blue line with five Montreal Canadian players in between him and the guy he was trying to pass it to. And they came down the ice and scored. There was the John Tavares, although it may have been accidental, John Tavares getting injured. There was the Michael Bunting cross-check to the head. There was the David Camp after the whistle. 
Like there's so many things in the last seven years that they could have used as motivation to move yeah. on. But it just seems like they're not the kind of team that does that. They just want to try to win their own way, which doesn't really make sense when you have all that you could use as we need to win this game just to stick it to everybody. Yeah. Which I think just should be enough on its own just to try to stick it to everybody on Twitter or Facebook and the media for the last 54 years who have said you're not good enough because you won the last one in the Stanley Cup and there was only six teams. Like that right there should be motivation enough for you to try to win every round, every game. But it just seems like they never use that as motivation. They always just brush it off and move on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, it's weird. And like even like if you're talking about the bigger players like Matthews and Martyr, it's like in my personal opinion, you think that you would have left this or used this whole thing as like the most motivation you could possibly have. You know, I mean, like this game, like he should have. I mean, they they did. I think they played exceptionally better than what they were playing. Like, but just to me, it's like I would just try to whoop ass constantly. Like I would just every shift, I would just made it incredibly hard. I just would have basically imposed my will on every single person on the on the floor Panthers because why the hell not? But which, just seems yeah, like which they is did funny it. because. Matthews and Marner have the ability to do that. And they did it for like the first, although they lost um, two games in, in Tampa, like the, the way Marner was putting up points, like he was doing that in the beginning of the Tampa series. And then he just stopped. And then by the time he started picking it back up again, it was clearly too late. Like from what game five and six in Tampa and games one, two and three in Florida, like he was non-existent. Yeah. Like he was, you could, at moments, see, he was on the ice, but otherwise he was just invisible. He wasn't doing anything. Uh, invisible besides the moments when you noticed him turning the puck over because he had to try to make the no-look spinorama behind the back, through the legs, down the ice pass just to get the highlight reel pass out of the way. And then it ended up turning the puck over and he looked like an idiot. But, uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know. Maybe, like, maybe obviously it's mental, I guess like a mental factor, but like they should just be like Matthews when playing to the best of his ability is on par with the best players in the league. Maybe not McDavid in the case of like point total, but like when Matthews is playing at the top of his game, he's arguably the best player in the league. Same as uh, Marner, same as Nylander. And the only one who really ever just plays their own game all the time is Nylander. There's stretches of games or whole games in particular where Matthews and Marner are just invisible, and it doesn't really make sense. Yep. I wonder what, uh, just to go back to the Gudis thing, I wonder what he's, if, I mean, obviously he's not going to get a post game interview because nobody cares about Radko Gudis, but if he does, I wonder what he's going to say. Um, I don't know. That's tough. Probably something like "We deserve to win." I'm the best defenseman. We're the better team. Oh, yeah. We want Florida bullshit. Yeah, because that's um, another thing. 
that's another thing. They rip on Toronto's sixteen fans in the in the in the streets that chanted "We want Florida," but took away from the eighteen million people that said "We want Boston." Yeah, because it doesn't fit the narrative of of Florida being Toronto. Yeah, which is again, it's funny because the fans chanting "We want Florida" has nothing to do with the players on the ice. Like, like not even just this moment, but like I've always found that funny. Like fans will chant, "We if you're a Devils fan," and they're chanting, "We want the Rangers," and then the Rangers beat them in five games. And everybody's like, "Oh, the, look, Toronto or Toronto sucks. They want a Florida, but they couldn't keep up." But the players never said that. The ownership never said that. Management never said yeah. that. Nobody actually connected to the team ever said that. Just because a whole bunch of fans are out in the street chanting, "We want Florida," doesn't mean that the players on the ice are actually even worried about what the fans are chanting. I'd, I'd rather have the we want Florida chance as opposed to we want the cup after you win one game like yeah. Boston. Also, uh, just a quick update here. It looks like uh, uh, not 100% the score. Yeah, it's 4-3. Jack Campbell's in for Edmonton. 4-3, Vegas, I guess? Yeah, Vegas scored three goals in a minute, 39. Oh, yeah. Jack Campbell. Edmonton Oilers savior who crapped out just like everybody expected. Yes, sir. Hopefully um, Edmonton gets beat out too, and then we get to see McDavid cry. Well, I mean, he won't actually cry. He'll be the monotone, no emotion, typical yeah. robot he is in every interview. But and he always says um, the most basic stuff. Yeah, we go to uh, score more goals than them if you want to win the game. Yeah, thanks, buddy. That's how that's how every sport is. Well, we got to skate down the ice and uh, just keep control of the puck if we want to uh, to uh, control the game. Yep, that that that's kind of obvious. Thanks for pointing that one out. Yes, sir. I also think it was funny when he said, uh, "Like, what do you expect in this game?" He's like, oh, "I don't know, uh, two, two teams to, uh, to play hockey. Like, what? What are you dumb?" And you and my, you and <laughs> yeah. our dad were just like, "Thanks." <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, oh, uh, uh, what do you expect out of this game? You know, I just expect uh, five players at a time to be skating around, passing the puck, shooting on net. Like, yeah, that's the most obvious answer you could have gave, and you just don't want to do interviews. That's why you do that. Yeah. Like, you're forced to because you're the face of the league. Like, maybe put some emotion into it and actually show that you care. I do agree, Other buddy. than when you're whining that you lose or the refs don't give you your way. Um, the only, uh, I guess it's not even a good thing, but I guess it, it makes for a little bit interesting with offseason, which we'll get to in probably a week's time or something, and we'll bring Kyle on. Like, we'll get Kyle to come on with us. But uh, it will make for a little bit of an interesting offseason to have, uh, you know, it's a good discussion about, you know, who, who could go, who stays. Um. We have a list of UFAs, you know, which big guy is going to go, if any, Ryan O'Reilly come back, Nolachari, this, that, the other. So, obviously, we won't we won't get into that yet, but it's a, it's a little bit uh, – well, excuse me. It's a little bit it's, – it's always intriguing to, like, the exit interview day to see what Kyle Dubas says, like, when they ask him, you know, it's – is Nolachari and Ryan O'Reilly going to be offered a contractor or contract negotiation started? And he'll say, like, 
Uh, we'll talk about that later. You know what I mean? Like, he might actually give something he might not. So, I guess that's something to look forward to. Drops about six weeks away. Free agency's, what, two months? A month away, a month and a half away. Um, yeah, thanks for the pick, Boston. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we will be back um, with you for that. We'll be back with wait, you for a draft also, podcast, a free agency podcast, a, a roster breakdown podcast. Um uh, an official end of the year podcast with Kyle on the on the pod too. So, what are you gonna say? Uh, like all the young guys we have, like Nyes, a full season with Nyes. Hopefully, Robertson healthy next year. We have a full season with him. Yeah, and there's and that have, like, uh, and Naimala and, and yeah, uh, Mitten and all the guys, the young guys that we have that in the next coming years will be making the team. So, yeah, and then there's like yeah, it sucks that we. Pardon me? No, I'll go. Uh, well, you go because I have to find the tweet. I was just going to say it sucks that we didn't win, but like, obviously there's next year, which is cliche to say, yeah, but I feel like the, the, most of the, the core team will still be assembled and we'll be able to make it at least to the playoffs again. Hopefully we make it a little farther than we did this year now that they somewhat know what it takes to win and they can use this Florida game or loss as motivation to, to continue to improve. Well, like, it's not all negative. We still have a bright future with some good players coming. Joseph Hall took a huge step even just in the last six games he played. Yeah, and so he's a... he's a regular on the team next year. And he's a below-league minimum. He's on a below-league uh, below minimum deal right now and for the next two seasons because they signed up before um, league minimum went up or whatever the situation is. So, yeah. If by chance next year he is the starter or a split tandem and they and they give two or three million dollars to a guy, um whomever that guy is, Samsonov, whomever. Oh, excuse me. Um then we'll then we'll obviously look at uh I guess um, uh that's a plus for the Leafs to potentially have like three million dollars locked up in in um goalie. goalies. Just quickly, I don't want to get into this yet. I wanna talk with Kyle and you, but uh, the Leafs UFAs, according as of right now, is Kerf- Kerf- wow, wow, that was terrible. Kerfoot, O'Reilly, Camp, Achari, Bunting, Z- Zach Ashton, Reese, Simmons, Hall, Shen, Gustafson, Ben, Dahlstrom, and their RFA is Elias Samsonov. So we'll have lots to discuss there. We'll also discuss the Matt Murray uh, contract oh. and how they could be moved. Pardon me. Uh, just just before we wrap up, that reminded me of. Um, what was the point of getting Eric Gustafson? Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, we got, we got, uh, uh, we got him, and we gave up San, uh, Sandine, and we got a first as the Boston pick. But like, arguably, our best, maybe not Morgan Riley in the playoffs, but like, arguably, uh, at least in the season, was our could have been our best offensive defenseman. Uh, could have came into the playoffs and we could have had two offensive defensemen on two different power play units playing throughout the whole series. And they just sat him in the press box besides the two games he played and did nothing with them. Like I, I don't, you could have just did that with Rasmus Sandin. If you were going to play him five minutes a game for two games, like what was yeah. the point of getting him if you were never going to use him? I think, like, and then the obviously like Sheldon Keefe would say, Oh, hopefully, but like Sheldon Keefe would probably say, like we didn't want to mess up the the momentum and chemistry of the defense pairs we had. Like 
then he has chemistry with people. Like, there's no reason Justin Hall need to play over Eric Gustafson. Even at stretches, Giordano was playing like crap. So he could have sat him and put Gustafson in if he didn't want to take Hall out. Yeah. There was a couple games where Brody played like crap. So he could have sat him for a game and put in Gustafson. It just, I don't know. It was just always confusing how, the, why they, ne- they never used him when they gave up Sandine for him. Yeah. And obviously they didn't give up Sandine for him because Sandine requested a trade because he said that he didn't request a trade. So I don't really understand why they got him. Um, I just want to quickly talk about this super quick, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up here. Uh, this guy put on Twitter, and I, this is where this kind of fits in. So ne- next season, his ideal lineup would be Tavares, Marner, Nylander, Nyes, O'Reilly, Marner, uh, Bunting, Achari, Yarncroke, Robertson, Holmberg, Steves with Bobby. What? What was the first line? Tavares, Marner, or sorry, Tavares, Matthews, Nylander, Nyes, O'Reilly, okay, Marner, yeah. Bunting, Achari, Yarncroke, Robertson, Holmberg, Steves, Bobby McMahon, the extra, Riley, Shen, Brody, Blank, McCabe, Lilligren, and then Timmons, and then Wall and Samsonov, and then he said, fire Keith. I don't care what... So he didn't... What... Pardon? Um, he, he, he didn't... He's not wanting to bring back Sam Lafferty? Sam Lafferty's already on the team. So I guess his, yeah, but he, you didn't. Yeah, I know, but I know, I I know what you're saying. Like I, I get what you're saying. I'm just pointing out to like everyone who's listening that he's he's signed for next year. So yeah, he would. No, no, be no I know, but I mean, like I I thought he would have had at least listed him in the starting because he's played well. Yeah, I, he's like he he's at times back. he was the most noticeable player on the ice. Yeah, he, he's no, no, definitely... no I, I know. I'm just saying, like I I thought like I would have put him in over like a Steve's. Yeah. Um, obviously, this isn't. Yeah. Like, anyway, sorry. This is just like this doesn't include any available free agents. This is literally just running it back with almost the exact same team, just replacing some of the depth guys with like Camp and O'Reilly with, or sorry, and Zach Aston Reese with Holmberg and Robertson. So I'm not taking this at the holy ground yeah. at all. However, Riley Shen, Brody Blank, McCabe, Lilligren. You know what I would do if there's no good available defense? I would bring back Shen. Obviously, I would bring back Shen regardless. Brody and McCabe, let them develop chemistry the whole entire year together, and then put Lilligram with uh, with Gustafson because Gus or Lilligram played really well with Morgan Riley because he also was the fast breakdown guy, but also the defensive guy. So if you bring you put someone who's offensively gifted with him, that's not Rasmus Sandin, who he has to compete with. I think you'll see him bump up his minutes, and then Timmons has the extra. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about. There's there's Geo, is he going to retire? There's the Matt Murray conversation. Um, there's also who's available. I know that it's probably unlikely, but Freddie Anderson is again a goal t- a goaltender that is going to be hitting the open market. Could they bring him back for a ch- or could they bring him back or would they be interested in bring him back to Toronto for cheaper than what Ilya Samsonov is and then use him as the backup to Wall? Would Wall uh, be the starter next year? You know, like, there's tons of conversations, and I think that's the interesting part about off seasons that I like personally is like yeah. this team is not probably going to be the exact same rendition that we see. Could Toronto just opt to not sign back Ryan O'Reilly? And if this is the case, and that was a lineup, would Matthew Nyes be on the top line? And and they put together that Ontario line that they have O'Reilly, Tavares, Barner the whole year. You know what I mean? Like, there's lots of um, lots of options. Now that you bring that up, I just want to point this out quick before we wrap up again. Um, 
and it's specifically like the playoff performance of our defense. There was a time at this point, like in the season, where we had Jordy Ben and Victor Mete in our starting six, which just shows how much how more improved our defense became after the deadline into the playoffs. Yet there were still times where Justin Hall, Jake McCabe, T.J. Brody, Mark Giordano, and even stretches of particular stretches of games, like sections of a game where Timothy Lilligren all play that crap. When those are all vastly better than Victor Mete and Jamie Ben, but we were playing better with Jamie Ben and Victor Mete in the lineup than with the other guys. And I know, like regular season, the playoff is different, but like you think with a Riley, Brody, McCabe, Shen, Giordano, Lilligren, Hall, Gustafson, uh, Timmons as a nine defense deep would have been a little bit better or more, more consistent than a. Uh, Brody, Riley, Jordan, Lilligren, Sandine, Timmons, or Mete, J- uh, Jamie, Ben, Justin Hall. But it just seemed like it wasn't because late into the second or the first round, the Tampa series, and most of the second round, like J- uh, um, Jake McCabe was making bonehead plays. Giordano at times looked like he, his age. He was so slow and out of place, and Justin Hall was his typical play. The the most surprising, I think, was T.J. Brody, where there was times, Tampa series, and uh, I think like game two or three of the Florida series, where he was like, at times he seemed lost, like he had no idea what he was doing. Yeah, which is until uh, not typical for T.J. Brody. He's usually our most consistent defenseman. So I just found it funny how the consistency of our defense, our defense in the playoffs, was kind of decreased compared to earlier in the year where we had lesser. Uh, profile defense, and that's why I think this season, this off season, is so interesting because we, if Toronto can keep a decent amount of these players going forward, then maybe and like McCabe and Brody, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, maybe it was the training wheels that need to come off. You know, what I mean, maybe it was the speed bumps along the way of having uh, seven extra, like seven new guys. You know, what I mean, like next year, a lot of these guys will be regulars. Maybe we won't make as many big moves at the deadline. Um. I don't know. I just, I just, you're right. There, there had to be something yeah. probably mentally or maybe a sit back and relax well, because the deadline's over. Yeah. It could mental, like a mental confidence issue even really. Um, because like, it seemed like once they won the series, everybody just expected them to breeze or at least not everybody, but there was a lot of people who were like, expecting them to breeze through to the Stanley Cup and, and like compete and, and win it. But, like, if you actually looked at it, like, that was kind of unrealistic to think because no one, besides the players they brought out of the deadline, no one on the team had really been in that situation before. Yeah. So they didn't really know what to expect. It reminds me of the Wayne Gretzky story where they lost, before they won their first Stanley Cup in Edmonton, he said that they lost to the Islanders in the finals. And him and I forget who, I think it was like Kevin Lowe and another player, they were walking past, left their locker room where the guys were like still happy, excited, celebrating because they were playing in the NHL. And they walked past the Islanders locker room who were like grizzled vets, been there, know what to do. And he said they were all like hunched over, icing their wounds, stitching up their cuts because they knew what it took to win. And that the young upstarts in Edmonton didn't, and he said that that moment really sunk in. And then the next year they came back and and implemented that and won the Stanley Cup. So I, I feel like it was kind of 
while it was would have been exciting to see Toronto make it all the way to the Stanley Cup and win it, I feel like everybody expected them just to breeze through that moment because Boston got beat out, Tampa got beat out, uh, whoever else, Devils, Rangers all got beat out. Yeah, uh, it was kind of un, un unrealistic when no one besides like four players on the team really knew what even to expect from a second round playoff series because no one on Toronto has really made it that obviously most of the core four or the big name guys in Toronto haven't made it to the second round in their career. So yeah, obviously the learning moment and now they know like they need to step it up, which you could say is obvious, but like they know more about what it actually means or needs to take to win another round advance farther in the playoffs. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess with that, that'll be a wrap for the night. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, as I, as we said before, there's going to be another pod release in a couple weeks or a couple days, maybe, I don't know, next week, whatever. Uh, we'll talk to Kyle on it. Uh, we'll get his opinion on the team. Uh, with that, we'll have a pod for the draft, pod for the free agency, a couple pods along the way, but we're not going to be doing weekly pods in the off season just because eventually it becomes tiring that there's nothing to talk about and we can only talk about hypotheticals for so much. So uh, with that, we'll sign off tonight and we'll be back with you and we'll keep you informed on our schedule moving forward. Have a good night and as always, go Leafs go all the other out. It's always a go Leafs go chant in our club. 